Please open with me to the book of James, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. We're continuing our verse-by-verse study of James, and today we're in the third chapter, verses 13 through 18. If If you were able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. Hear now the written word of God. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is shown in peace by those who make peace. Pray with me, please. Father, may you increase, may we decrease. Remove every distraction from this place that we might worship you through the preaching of your word. Mold us, shape us, conform us to the image of Christ, we pray. May our hearts and minds be open to receive your word. Holy Spirit, do a work in our lives today. If there's one here who doesn't know Christ, we pray for their salvation. May he or she come to know the Lord today. Be exalted We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. Friends, as we begin this sermon today, let's start by reviewing where we've been and where we are today. If you recall back in August, we began a series on the book of James, and we started a verse-by-verse explanation, looking at every verse, every word of James. And by the end of November, we found ourselves halfway through uh, the third chapter, or maybe you could say two-thirds of the way through the third chapter, uh, with ver- ending in verse 12, and we're picking up today in verse 13. We, of course, took a break for four weeks looking at our Advent series, Christ in the Old Testament. So now we're returning to the book of James chapter 3. And let's recall the theme of James. We'll put that up on the screen. We're learning from James that he's talking to believers, to Christians, and he's teaching all of us what I call practical truth for the Christian life. Practical truth of living the Christian life. So let's take just a moment and reflect back on the many things that James has already taught us starting with chapter 1. We'll put some of these things on the screen as well. James has taught us all as believers how to go through trials with perseverance, how to pray and how to ask God for wisdom and how not to ask God for wisdom. He's taught us about riches and poverty and how they both point us back to our relationship with God. Pastor Darrell preached on this topic steadfastness 
during a time of temptation. We learned of God's good gifts, that every good and perfect gift comes from above, and that God is immutable. He doesn't change like the shifting shadows that we see on the ground. Chapter 1 also taught us about hearing the word of God, but not being hearers only, but being doers of the word. At the end of chapter 1, we focused on ministering to the orphan and to the widow. When we started chapter 2, we spent two sermons on the sin of partiality, favoritism. We spent two more sermons on talking about faith and works. And as we started chapter 3, we looked at the tongue, the uncontrollable tongue and taming that tongue. We took two sermons just to look at that topic. And we can see that through all of this, James is teaching us what it really means to live the Christian life, what that looks like in practical truth as we live out our faith. Well, friends, today, as we head towards the last six verses of chapter 3, I want us to jump back to chapter 2 and remember one of those topics that we talked about a few weeks ago. We remember all those verses on faith and works. And this is what we learned. We learned that we're saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by works. But works, they are not the root of our salvation. They are the fruit of our salvation. And what this means is that our good works, they can never, ever justify us before a holy God. Because only Jesus Christ can do that and only his righteousness can do that. We know the only thing that justifies us before a holy God is to have the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to our lives. And that's received by faith and faith alone. But the Bible does teach us in that second chapter that if you're a believer, if you're truly a believer, if you don't have a fake faith but a real faith in Jesus Christ, that that faith will be demonstrated and it will show forth evidence through works. James says it this way in chapter 2, verse 18. He says, I will show you my faith by my works, because at the end of that chapter we learned faith without works is, is dead. Is dead. Well, friends, with that in the back of your minds, or even now in the forefront of your minds, let that introduce this section that we're in today, chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Because it's the same truth that we find in this passage today. James is continuing to teach us that if you have a real saving faith in Jesus Christ, that good and wise conduct is going to flow out of a life that is rooted in faith in Jesus Christ. And then after James talks about this, he goes on to speak of what I call the great contrast of two different types of wisdom. He says there's the wisdom this world is going to give you, earthly wisdom. And then there's wisdom that God's going to give you, heavenly wisdom. 
So friends, those are the three points for today. If you look on the back of your bulletin, there's a short outline that walks you through these points. First of all, wise conduct. Secondly, earthly wisdom. And then finally, what we're calling heavenly wisdom. But let's look at that wise conduct that flows out of a heart of faith in Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 13. The Bible asks the question, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. How does James start? He starts with a question. Who is wise? Who is understanding? It's a question of examination, right? Something to think through, something to examine. Now, why would James ask a question like this? Who is wise? Well, let's remember the context of this passage. You remember the verse 1 of this chapter? James is talking to teachers, and he says, not many of you should be teachers. Because it's very difficult for people to tame their tongues. Many people say things they shouldn't say. So he asked this question of examination, who is wise? And I think what he's saying is, within this context, not many of you should be teachers because you can't bridle your tongue. The point is, examine yourself. Examine yourself. Ask the question, who is wise? But then he gives an answer. He goes, the people who are wise and have true wisdom and understanding, those are the ones who demonstrate it. They demonstrate it by their conduct as they live day to day. As one commentator said, the question of examination leads to demonstration. The one who is demonstrating by his or her conduct That's the one who is wise. And it goes back and teaches us that relationship between faith and works. Because our faith is going to be demonstrated, it's going to be shown through our works. When the Apostle Paul writes those 13 books of the Bible, he presses on this issue so many times. How does he say it in Philippians? He says, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, examine your conduct. If you want to know if it's wise and it has understanding, how's your conduct? He says it this way in Ephesians, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And for all of us, it's an opportunity to take a step back and have an examination. Are we being wise in our own lives? Is that then demonstrated in the way we live and treat Each other. I think my favorite verse, though, that Paul writes about this is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. We'll put this on the screen. And I'm going to go ahead and direct my my words and my thoughts to the youth in the room today. If you are a child, a youth, even in college, scoot up on your seat, perk up, and pay attention. Because the Apostle Paul is talking directly to people like you. I want you to know that the youth, the young, should never be avoided when we talk about Christian conduct and even being an example of a believer. This is 
Paul writing to Timothy, he says it this way. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. How? In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Friends, what does good and wise conduct look like? Who is wise? Who has understanding? Paul is telling Timothy the answer here. Go ahead as a young person who has a heart of faith in Jesus Christ. You be an example of a believer. And this is how you do it in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Let's walk through those things. Because, friends, not only do these apply to the young who are in faith, but this should be a reflection of every believer in Jesus Christ, of spiritual maturity, of spiritual growth. First of all, in speech. What does good and wise conduct look like? First of all, Paul says to Timothy, look at your speech. Look at your words. Friends, we just had two sermons on our words and speech. Where? From the book of James. He just talked to teachers about their inappropriate words. He's talking to Christians and teaching them that the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It is small but powerful. What have we learned about the tongue? It's small, like the bit in the mouth of a horse, like a rudder on a ship, like a spark that starts a forest fire. The tongue is a very small member, yes, but it is very powerful. And even though these things are much larger, much bigger than these things, the small thing leads, guides, directs the big thing. And so will our tongue be in our lives and our bodies. That small rudder directs that big ship. That small bit guides that horse. Our tongue will guide our lives many times. Hopefully it will bring you to a place of safety, but as we've learned, oftentimes it brings us to a place of absolute disaster. What does wisdom and wise conduct look like for the tongue? Our tongues need to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. No man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Our tongue needs to be brought to the altar and laid before our king, King Jesus. He says to us in the word, our speech should be seasoned with salt. That means it keeps out the bad, it keeps in the good. And salt also brings out the flavor of things. We, our tongue should be bringing out the flavor of the gospel. Question for you, how's that going in your life? In your workplace, in your home Oftentimes, when our tongue gets out of control, what do we need to do? We need to be quick to acknowledge that to others. We need to be quick to apologize. Just this week, I had to apologize to my eight-year-old son for something I said. He called me out on it. I said, good job, Jack. I needed that. And I need to repent to my own son. Sometimes we need to do that. The tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. So friends, what is wise conduct? It's when our speech is examined and then it's demonstrated in a godly way. Examination leads to demonstration. Number two, the verse says, in conduct. In speech, in conduct. What is conduct? That's our day in, day out behavior. 
when we go to work, when we go to recreation, family time, how we live as mothers, fathers, sons, and daughters. Does our conduct bring out the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control are those attributes of the life that we're living before a holy God. Because if we ask the question, what is wise conduct? It's when our lives are examined under the truth of Scripture and they demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Thirdly, it's in love. That great passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 will put on the screen a reminder of what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not, it is not irritable or resentful. It, is not re, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I was a youth pastor for 15 years, and I would often teach this text to the youth, and I would have them get their fingers up like this, and I would say, which way does love point? Which way? Yeah, points out. If you read every single one of those adjectives about love, descriptions of love, Love points away from self to the interest of others. When you're patient with someone, that's not about you. That's pointing to the interest of that other person. Kindness is pointing to that other person. It's pointing out. It flows away from yourself towards other people. It's the opposite of pointing in, which is selfishness. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But Paul tells these youth, this, this, this youth Timothy... Set an example to believers in speech and conduct and love. Examine the way that you are loving other people. If you know the love of Christ in your heart, is that affecting the way you live so that you pour forth love to others this way outside of you? Or are you only looking towards self-interest? The Bible says, what is wise conduct? It's when our lives are examined how we love other people, and we demonstrate that love in a Christ-like way. Fourth, in faith. Faith is what we believe about God. It's the content of your belief system. And friends, what the Bible teaches us is that what you and I believe about God needs to line up with what God says in His Word. It doesn't need to be Man's best effort, what man thinks, but it needs to be consistent with Scripture. So I'll say this to you. What is wise conduct concerning your faith? It's when our beliefs are examined and demonstrate that they are indeed biblical. Number five, impurity. This is our moral standards. This is guarding your heart, your mind, your eyes, your ears, your body, so that with our bodies we do that which is pleasing in the sight of God. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what is wise conduct? Friends, it's when our morality is examined and then demonstrated in a godly 
way. What does James says? Look back at the text. He says, by your good conduct, show your works. Examine the way you live your life and demonstrate that in the way you live your life. But as you do that, what's the final word there in the verse? Do it with meekness. You know, meekness is, as Sinclair Ferguson once said, notoriously difficult to define. He says it's certainly not lack of backbone. Rather, it is the humble strength that belongs to a man who has learned to submit to difficulties, difficult experiences, and difficult people, knowing that in everything God is working for his good. Meekness, friends, is a gentle and humble spirit. Listen, in life, we're going to have difficult experiences with difficult people. And that's going to cause us to want to have things done our way. We're going to be frustrated. But the Word of God is teaching us how to conduct ourselves in those times with meekness, gentleness of heart. My challenge, not only for you, but for myself, as this text says, examine, ask the question. Examine and then demonstrate in our lives biblical truth. The second major point today from the text comes from verses 16, 14 through 16. And as we mentioned earlier, the Bible talks about what we call earthly wisdom. Look back at the text. It says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and spiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So what James is now doing is he's getting ready to contrast two different things, earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. You know, we live in a world where we contrast pretty much everything all the time. Like in my house, there's the way my son wants to do things, and then there's the way my daughter wants to do things. Right, Macy? That's, I mean, and everyone knows that. Maybe at work, there's the way you want to do things and the way your boss wants to do things. We contrast those things. Maybe we contrast quarterbacks. Which quarterback is better, right? Trevor Lawrence or Joe Burrow? We'll find out, won't we? Or the biggest one is, which type of orange do you like? Do you like Tennessee orange or the wrong orange? Many ways to contrast many different things, right? Well, in that same line of thinking, let's walk through this together because James is picking up two different types of wisdom. What he calls, or what we're calling, earthly wisdom versus heavenly wisdom. Let's talk about them both. The text talks about them both. First of all, he talks about earthly wisdom. And in verse 14, he says, that earthly wisdom is characterized by what? Jealousy. But if you have bitter jealousy, let's talk about jealousy for just a moment. To do that, let's read 1 Samuel 18, verses 6 through 9. Look at this text with me. We're going right back into the story of Saul and David. 
As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another, and as they celebrated, here's what they sang. Listen, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David, his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Hey, we know the rest of the story, don't we? Saul was so jealous of David. And that even led Saul to try to kill David on multiple occasions. Friends, as James says in this text, this brought disorder in every kind of vile practice. That's what jealousy does. It brings disorder. It brings vile practices. Think about the the creation story, the book of Genesis. We get through Adam and Eve in the fall. Then we get to their boys, Cain and Abel. Cain was very jealous of his brother's acceptance by God to the point that he was so jealous that it led him to murder his brother. When we talk about disorder, vile practice, jealousy, we think of Cain and Abel. Friends, jealousy breaks the 10th commandment. Think about that. What's the 10th commandment? Thou shalt not covet. The one thing I really appreciate about our confession of faith and larger and shorter catechisms. This is the uh, shorter catechism, the larger catechism. By the way, if you've never read the shorter catechism or larger catechism, what that is, it's a series of questions and answers. And it teaches us about our faith. And in the shorter catechism, it takes every single commandment and it says what's required in the commandment and what's forbidden in the commandment. Let's talk about that real quick with the 10th commandment. What is required in the 10th commandment? The Tenth Commandment requireth full contentment with our own condition and a right and charitable frame of spirit towards our neighbor and all that is his. Saul didn't handle it that way. Cain didn't handle it that way. What is forbidden in the Tenth Commandment? The Tenth Commandment forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate, envying and grieving at the good of our neighbor and all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. Friends, this teaches us what to do instead of being jealous. Jealous is earthly wisdom. The second part of earthly wisdom is also found in verse 14, selfish ambition. You see it in the text. Jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. What biblical example do we have of selfish ambition? We think, again, of King David, the one who killed the ten thousands. Later on in his life, David was on his rooftop. He looked over, saw a woman taking a bath. He decided to have selfish ambition. He should have looked away and went back inside, but he didn't. He kept pursuing what he wanted. And he took the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And ultimately, that led to Uriah's death. 
Think about the context of the book of James. Where do we find selfish ambition? Go back to chapter 2. It's talking about partiality. It says the rich man, the poor man come in the room, come in the assembly. How do you treat each man? You take the rich man and say, oh, sit here. We've got a good seat for you. We take the poor man and say, you sit not on the footstool, but beside the footstool on the floor. You don't even get a seat. Why do we do that? Well, it might be because of selfish ambition. This guy looks rich. We might be able to get something from him. This guy doesn't look like he has anything. He can just sit on the floor. Look at verse 15. James calls jealousy and selfish ambition. Three words. Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Earthly. What does that mean? It means that it did not originate with God. It stands in contrast with God. Unspiritual, that simply means is that there's no godly understanding when you have jealousy and selfishness. And then he gets to the third word, demonic, which teaches us that these two things are reflective, not of God, but of Satan himself. They find their origin in the father of lies. Friends, do you see how earthly wisdom sharply contrasts with God? Well, then he gets to our final point. Heavenly wisdom. Look at verse 17 and 18 once again. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvestness of righteousness is is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's walk through those words one at a time. Godly, heavenly wisdom. First of all, it's pure. That word purity means that it's completely undefiled. It's not contaminated by the world, the flesh, or the devil. Why? Because it comes from God and He is holy, holy, holy. Just as Jesus Christ himself was not defiled by sin, God's wisdom is not defiled by sin. And it's the way God originally created things to be. It's the way they were supposed to be. So where do you find wisdom like this? Friends, I want you to know you find it in the Bible. You find it in the Bible. What is our doctrine of Scripture? That the Bible is God's word. It is inspired. God breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Your word is truth, Jesus says. When we want undefiled, uncontaminated wisdom, let's turn not to a program or some man-made remedy, but turn to the word of God. That's where pure wisdom is going to come. Secondly, it's peaceable. This type of wisdom does not push conflict. Rather, it has self-control. Peace brings order to disorder. It brings harmony to chaos. And it is the opposite of the way Saul treated David. When I think about peace and bringing order to chaos, I always think about Mark chapter 4. Jesus and the disciples are on the boat, and Jesus is asleep. 
The storm comes up on the sea. The disciples are in a panic. The wind's blowing. The waves are crashing. What do you do? Jesus, wake up. Help. And the Son of God stands on that boat and with his sovereign, powerful voice speaks to the weather and says, Peace, be still. The waves stopped crashing. The wind stopped blowing. And everything was calm. Gentle. The idea behind this word of being considerate, patient, and humble. Considerate as you look at difficult circumstances. It's a person who gives his or her opinion in a fair and a reasonable way. Friends, this is the opposite of what David did with Uriah the Hittite. He was far from gentle. Number four, it's open to reason. That means it's teachable, not stubborn. It's the idea of being submissive and able to learn from others has the ability to accept rebuke or admonition and learn from it and appreciate it. I don't have it on the screen, but do this later today or sometime this week. Open up Proverbs chapter 9. In the middle of that chapter, it talks about a wise man and a foolish man. And it says you can tell the difference between a wise man and a foolish man by the way he reacts to being admonished. When you admonish or rebuke a foolish man, he steps towards you to strike you. He becomes aggressive because he hates you. He wants to give you harm. He refuses to listen. But it says when you rebuke, when you admonish a wise man, he doesn't step forward to strike. He steps back and he listens. And not only does he receive the admonition, But he thanks you and he loves you for giving that to him because he's now added to his learning. That's the difference between heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom is going to be open to reason. This is the opposite of what Cain did with Abel. Fifth, heavenly wisdom has mercy and good fruits. That means it extends help to others. In the same way, love looks out to the interest of others. Mercy and good fruits do the same thing. Remember what Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Bear the fruit of the Spirit. And then finally it says, Impartial and sincere. That it refrains from favoritism. But rather it's truthful in its judgment. Friends, such is heavenly wisdom and as we conclude this morning you see verse 18 it gives us the conclusion of the matter it says and a harvest of righteousness is is sown in peace by those who make peace what a great picture a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace 
What this text is saying is that righteous living before God will never come from the world's way, the way of jealousy, the way of selfish ambition. That's the world's way. This way is earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. The world will tell you one way, but God has a contrasting view. He's got a different idea about it. And the first thing God says to us today is, hey, examine and demonstrate examination leads to demonstration ask the question ask the question about our own lives our speech our conduct our love our faith our purity as god told young timothy are they under the truth of scripture if so let them be demonstrated with meekness and wisdom and then see the contrast between earthly and heavenly wisdom It's so easy to get caught up in this world, friends. It is so easy to fall into jealousy, to fall into selfishness. Heroes in our faith have fallen into these areas. But our encouragement today is that our hearts might be dedicated to the Lord, to seek that which is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Why? So that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Pray with me, please. Our God,